trust in the people that you surround yourself with, you know, they believe in you more than you believe in yourself sometimes. And, you know, when you're in those moments of doubt, borrow from them, borrow their confidence and, and their belief in you to help you get to that next, that next. Welcome to the Small Steps Big Wins podcast, where I'm dedicated to helping you take control of your life. I'm Sue Saller, and I'm excited to be your host on this journey. I'll be bringing you inspiring stories, practical tips, and expert advice to help you overcome obstacles, set and achieve your goals, and live the life you've always wanted. Together, we'll discover that making small changes is not only possible, but can lead to big results. Join me now as we explore the power of positive thinking, the art of goal setting, and strategies for success. Are you ready? Let's go do this. To the Small Steps Big Wins family, and I would like to welcome Dan Milanazzo to our show today. Dan is the owner of Real Value Ventures that operates in New Hampshire and Massachusetts and has spent his life in the world of construction and real estate with roles ranging from designer, engineer, general contractor, owner, investor, teacher, and coach. His company, Real Value Ventures, seeks to add value by providing institutional level guidance to large multifamily owners for construction and physical asset planning and performance. Dan, I look forward to hearing your story and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. You have quite a diverse background. Please share a little bit about your superhero backstory. Well, I'd, I'd say my background is I'm the son of an artistic, strong, loving, think it out mother and hands-on, self-employed, kind of figure it out contractor dad. So you kind of put them together. I, I pursued a little bit of a journey into architecture. I thought that was going to be my calling, having the artistic background, my mother and the construction with my father it just felt natural. But from there, I just, I enjoyed growing up and breaking things down, figuring out how they worked and then putting them back together. So I think I've always had that analytical engineering type mindset to figure out how, how the world works, you know, product by product. <laughs> I've, I've broken many a computer in my early ages when dial up, dial up internet was around <laughs> among, among many other things. So what was it? What was your first job then? Like, did you go, you went to college, I'm assuming? Yes. So I went, my first job was, I, I was probably 10 years old and my father owned a construction business. So, you know, picking up shingles on a job on a Sunday, you know, cause he had to be there real quick. So I'd go and I'd just pick up some, pick up some stuff. But yeah, when I was in high school, I, I did a little bit more with him on job sites, you know, took on a few more things. And then I went to school for architecture. Uh, that was kind of the direction I thought I'd be going in. So I went into that field and during my first couple of years there, you had to decide if you were going to go architecture, like officially architecture, an arts degree, or the science side and go the engineering. So I ended up going the bachelor, the engineering route. So I got my degree in architectural engineering, and I've never been great at drawing the prettiest of buildings, but my buildings always stood up. They, you know, I made sure they worked. And that kind of worked with me. I'm very, you know, very logical, very analytical mindset, mathematical. So that worked to my, to my strengths. And then from there, I took on a co-op working with a building envelope engineer. And I was with him for about seven years, I believe. And I kind of grew through that business. It was just him and I to start. I became a partner in that business before I left. And then I entered the world of multifamily after that. And yeah, just through the years, honed my skills from from all of those, those angles, you know, from 
design to construction to engineering to owner's rep. And now I am a multifamily owner as well. I'm an investor. So I do invest in multifamily buy and hold. And so it kind of all, it all plays together. I have a pretty rounded approach to all of these things because I can see the picture from a lot of different angles. Okay. How did you get involved in multifamily? Why multifamily? So I bought my first property in 2009 when the market was just, it was, you know, it was, it was blood in the streets. <laughs> it was, it was a short sale. And I was at that point where, you know, I was in an apartment and I was ready to like move on. I'd always, I've always been interested in investing. Actually, I got got into it through Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which most mm -hmm. investors do. I was still in college and I attended the Real Estate Wealth Expo in Boston with Donald Trump and Robert Kiyosaki and went to a bunch of those things, bought a bunch of guru courses, fell in love with it, got into debt more than I probably should have as a just out of college type kid. But it gave me enough insight that when the opportunity came and I was sitting on a little bit of money, Again, FHA didn't have to be a whole bunch of money. And I was able to get mm -hmm. into duplex. It was small enough that I felt that I could handle it. And it was big enough that it could be an investment for me. So in 2009, I, I bought a two family that was in distress and went ahead and renovated the one of the units and lived in one. So I house hacked through that and I still own that property today. And I mean, market value on that is has definitely changed since I bought it which is fantastic. And just in the, you know, the climate that we're in now with the economy, it, it made things a little bit easier in the last year to get into other aspects where, you know, I did a flip of a, of a two family. And then since then I kind of leveraged that into 10 more doors. So now at this time, you know, we're early 2023, I have about 12 doors. Wow. So could you bridge the gap then between what you used to do and how real value ventures came about? Sure. So I started Real Value Ventures, the, the first iteration of it, shortly after I bought my two-family duplex. And it was part of me kind of getting that, you know, I, I got bit by that bug and I was like, I'm going to do this. Like, this is going to be my business. And so I developed the business then in Massachusetts. And it's a little expensive to, to have an LLC in Massachusetts, especially if you're not mm -hmm. generating any money. And around that same time, I met my my now wife, my girlfriend at the time. And, you know, we just started going down that road where we, you know, we got married and moved and got our own house together and had kids. So I took a major break from a lot of the active stuff, but I always had in the back of my mind. And so just over the years, I was helping people, you know, just because I was somewhat into the real estate stuff. So I'd talk with people that were interested and I'd kind of educate them and, and shed some light on some things that I knew. And it kind of just grew from there, but it was very, very slow. And then probably back in 2018, 2019, actually 2018, my youngest was born. And at that time, I, you know, that the light bulb dawned again that I need to create another stream of income because I want to spend more time with the family. And I felt that that was going to be a path to that, but it wasn't as quick as everyone makes it seem, you know, so here I am 2023. And I'm not financially free, although I'm sure there are plenty that could go that path faster. But I was in a W-2 where, you know, I was supporting a very large multifamily REIT doing the stuff that I'm doing right now with Real Value Ventures. So it's, you know, construction management, asset management, construction consulting, that type of stuff, project scope. And so 
now the business has kind of, it's given me something to kind of launch off of, right? It was always something in the background that I could rely on. It was my business to buy and sell and look at real estate through that entity. And then I kind of repurposed it as I came out of the W2 world and decided this is where I'm going to put my focus and kind of bring the real value that I've been gaining over two decades to the larger market of, you know, multifamily investors, commercial property owners, and kind of bring my skill set to them, especially if they're in their growth trajectory where they're not a massive national company. That's where I came from. So I have that institutional level knowledge, but to bring that down to a level where some smaller, bigger to me, but some smaller compared to the big national REITs type multifamily owners, you know, give them that level up that I can kind of plug into their systems. I know the business and I know the asset structure a little bit, so I can kind of help them level up. Uh, I'm able to kind of plug back into their system and say, you can go do what you do. I'll, I'll handle your asset. I'll give you a plan for your asset. I'll, I'll be your partner on this, you know, cause obviously everyone's kind of in the same boat with that. It's, it's a very giving community, the real estate investing community. Mm -hmm. And I want the asset to do well. Obviously, the owner wants the asset to do well. And by aligning those visions, I can kind of help give a plan to them so that they know what's coming down the line. It sounds like you seek to add value to others by leveraging your skill set to help owners, like taking the things off of their plate for their properties, putting it on your plate to allow them to do what they want to do. So right. for those listening, could you just briefly explain what a REIT is? Not everybody knows that a REIT is a real estate investment trust. Absolutely. Yeah. So real estate investment trust, it's, it's a vehicle, right? So the REIT that I worked for publicly traded, uh, and it's a, I guess it's a less risky way to get into the real estate world where they're required to provide dividend payouts to their investors like 95% of their profit has to go to the dividends for shareholders. So it is a, it's a decent vehicle uh, and you're tied to real estate, but it really comes down to the operators. And I was lucky enough to be part of one of those organizations and got a lot of institutional knowledge and they're, they're mm -hmm. constantly evolving and changing and adopting new things. So, yeah. but my experience with these, the big REITs gives you exposure as to how a large operator sees efficiencies and then you can. Mm -hmm you know, try to absorb some of that and see where, where it plays out. You know, I'm using real value ventures as a vehicle to bring that type of knowledge to other multifamily investors that are not quite there yet because they're too in the mm -hmm. weeds. Well, I can kind of bring some of that knowledge to the table and kind of show them where there might be some efficiencies that they're missing out on. Oh, that's great. Where you're leveraging your past experiences and bringing it to people who might not necessarily have had those experiences and allowing them to leverage your knowledge. I think that's a great idea. It's a great way to give back. What's one of your greatest satisfactions that you get out of your business? I mean, I have an attachment to construction. I've, I've always enjoyed seeing a project come to fruition. And I mean, it kind of goes back to my days as a kid when I used to create with Lego all the time. I mean, I still have Lego now. I mean, I'm, I have a Lego model right behind my, my monitor here and I have these, those little metal earth models. So it's a passion of mine to see something come from two dimensional to three dimensional. And I'm one of the lucky people that I can visualize a lot of that in my mind, which is great. And the translation is a little bit smoother because I can kind of see how a project needs to come together 
and then I can watch it come together or guide and, and direct it to come together that way. So I get a lot of enjoyment from helping people that can't quite see the whole path forward and can't quite picture the spatial relationship of things and help mm -hmm. them, hey, you want a, a two bedroom unit and like you sketch it on a napkin or whatever. And okay, great. Let me, let me kind of show you the better layout and why it's a better layout um, and kind of go from there and then kind of see it come together. I, I love seeing that, you know, that flushed out vision turn into mm -hmm. a reality. Yeah. I think some people do like that. I, I enjoy that as well. I do like kitchen design or when you get a chance to redesign a bathroom and then when you put it all together and it's that finished product, it was just that sense of satisfaction. And you're right. There are people out there who can't see that, who don't have that. And that's okay. That's just how they are wired. And you have also actually just captured the over 30 something ish people who still have Legos around. So I'm glad you shared that. <laughs> Absolutely. What were some things that has happened to you that you didn't expect coming out of running your business and having your business? So I've gotten more exposure to multifamily owners that I can connect with on a different level. I mean, you go to a lot of these meetups and I, I definitely recommend people go to meetups, you know, even if you're just starting to think about getting into this space, into real estate investing in general, or any, any type of pursuit that you're looking at there are groups that you can get together, get around those people. And by being around those people and being able to hear where their struggles are, you know, being able to support in, in those types of things, you know, helping people look at some potential dangers when underwriting a very large property. I mean, I, I don't have the financial backing of like, you know, somebody that's worked on wall street or that type of stuff with one of those big financial organizations but I can see the physical nature of things and I, I pay attention to construction costs and things like that. So being able to help somebody that's more of a financial analytic, look at the physical analytics and say, look, mm. I, you know, on paper, it looks one way, but I'm telling you, you really need to pay attention to X, Y, Z. And, you know, some things that might sound like a really good thing, like buying a property that's a hundred percent occupied sounds okay. And it's not <laughs> buying a property that's hundred percent occupied usually means that rents are too low or they're too mm. low because maybe the assets in deferred maintenance and things have kind of fallen by the wayside, but the current owner might not want to put money into it because when you start to charge a higher rent, you get a more demanding tenant, which is fine. I mean, it's kind of where the world is going. I mean, if otherwise mm. you get what everyone deems as the slumlord, right? Where Building's 100% occupied and there's a wait list because the rents are so low. But when you're in a position like that, the tenants don't bring up problems with your asset, with your building to the mm -hmm. owner, and it just continues to fall into more disrepair. So things look different on a spreadsheet than they do in reality. And, you know, being able to help kind of bring my knowledge to the table to somebody that, you know, is interested in that. And I can say, look, from experience, this is what I can tell you. And then hopefully that builds into a longer term relationship. And, and I can honestly say that it has for me where some of the people in my network that I've, I've been connected with for the past couple of years, I've bought and sold properties with, and I have them managing some of my properties. And now I'm helping on some of their assets where they're either coming out of the ground with, with a, you know, 12 unit property or considering a big renovation of like a, a 32 unit property, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, I'm now, I'm now an asset in that circle where, you know, they can tap into when they need to. And that's kind of where I find that I'm able to bring that to the table 
through my experience and my business. Dan, it seems like you're very comfortable in the real estate space. Has that always been the case or did you have to go through a little bit of self-discovery and digging a little deep for you? What was your uh, path like? I mean, I had to learn a lot of stuff the hard way in the real estate space. It, it took a while for me to wrap my head around being a landlord, right? Because I mean, at that point I was, I don't know, 20, not even 25 when I bought that property. I, I don't even, yeah, I don't know, 24, 23, something like that. So when I bought that property, it was one of those things where it was a gamble, hundred percent, it was a gamble. And at that point I had enough data and content in my head from the guru courses and the books that were available. I mean, I have binders like you wouldn't believe because back then when you went to a guru course, they gave you a binder because they had to print it and give you something physical yeah. and some discs to go with it. I mean, those things, it, it's, yeah, I, I probably have like a, a rainforest of guru courses in my other room, but I had enough information that I felt, all right, I, I think I can do this, but I wasn't quick on the draw. I, I definitely... Mm -hmm analyzed and analyzed and analyzed and then eventually got to a point where i was like all right i'm just gonna give it a shot because i was sick of analyzing i got to that point where i was like i i'm not gonna figure this out any further i just have to do it and that sounds like it happened fast but it, it most certainly did not i bought this property in july and i think i had a tenant in the unit that i was fixing up in january now mm. for a first-time landlord do-it-yourself, you know, house hacker type where I'm fixing everything and I'm trying to list it and, and tr screen tenants and all that stuff. I had to learn a lot of hard lessons where I'd blast it out and, you know, put flyers out and post some ads in the paper and, and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden people would start calling me and be great. Like, this is awesome. And then I'd, I'd schedule all these people like boom, 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 back to back and nobody would show up. And I'm like, oh, that's that's strange. So I was like, I, I should be getting this in rent. But back then I didn't have all the resources I have now to kind of vet what the rent should be. But I felt like I was pretty good because the guy that I bought the house with said, oh yeah, you should be able to get that much rent for it. I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do then. So I went through that whole process um, and then eventually landed on my first tenant through a friend of a friend. And basically they set the rent. They knew what I was asking, but they said, we're not going to pay that. This is what we're paying over here. And that person is selling the condo. So we'll pay that. And I'm like, okay, fine. Come on in. Let's, let's just do this. <laughs> and so I got way under market for the unit, but I felt better because I was bleeding money at that point. You know what I mean? I, mm -hmm. I had had this, this property for six months and no other income. And it was, it was getting to the point where I was really scratching my head. Was this the right decision? And then I got a tenant and then I got the rent payments and I was like, okay, like I can do this. And then living there, it was a different experience, but it was, it was overall good. And then I moved out and I became a remote landlord for that property where now I had to put another tenant in place, but now I am way smarter. And I put a tenant in place and they destroyed my apartment and it got like, it, it just, it was the ugliest thing that I could have seen happen to, to my unit where I felt an attachment because I th like, this was my baby. Like I helped renovate this thing. And like, I put this thing back together and to see someone so blatantly disregard the, the rules of my lease smoking in the unit. And just, I mean, I had to throw away the stove. I, I don't know how somebody can destroy a stove like that, but completely destroyed. And it was new when I bought it and when I bought the house. So 
going through a lot of that and realizing that, you know, not everyone is, you know, is thinking of this the same way. So definitely some harder lessons. And then fast forward, here I am now. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say I have 12 units. I'm blessed that I have 12 units. Shortly after I got all 12 of those doors, three of them stopped paying rent in a four family. It's oh, not wow. a good formula to run where you are 75% vacant in a four family. So yeah, I've, I've had to go through that process and lean heavily on my property manager. And again, with that, bringing some of my institutional knowledge to that table and saying, this is how I want things done has helped the property manager as well. Know that I'm not just a regular you know, owner, right? I'm not just a regular landlord where I'm just like, yeah, just do whatever you want with the property. I want to have a hand in it, right? I want to know what does this market want for a unit? Do they do they like the grays and whites? Do they want f- like vinyl plank flooring or do we like carpet in this area? So I want to do what I have to do to the unit to, to capture the rent and provide a good product. So leaning on them, but unfortunately going through the downside. It's, it's not fun getting a call at 10 o'clock at night that your boiler goes out in November and there's a family of four, a single mom and three kids living in a house that now has no heat and I got to do something quick doesn't matter what it costs. It has to be done quick. So being able to have the right resources, the right vendors to call on helped in that, in that case, and, you know, able to make that come back together and, and, you know, felt good about it. And then the fridge goes out and I'm like, I just, I just can't win. Like it's, it's like one thing after another, and then not being able to get somebody to deliver the fridge when I want to. So yeah, that's, that's me putting a phone call into dad and saying, Hey, I got to go get a fridge. And he's like, I'll come with you. So I get the fridge and him and I, you know, in the middle of July, and that's kind of, you got to have a little bit of grit with that stuff. I was just ready to say that to go through all that you've been through and you didn't give up. That truly is grit. I was going to say that exact word because after buying the first property, you know, your baby, and then that tenant destroying your baby, I could see where some people would say, oh, I give up. I'm just going to sell this thing. I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. But yet you hung in there and then you bought more. So wouldn't you say though, the underlying drive to do that is once you get that cash flow on a property and you start seeing that, oh, this thing is actually generating some kind of revenue for me and that I actually can work towards achieving the financial freedom. Would you say that is a catalyst that just propels you to keep doing what you're doing and hold what you have? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd say that's that's it 100%. Like I was, because of the fact that I was living in the first property as a house hacker, and I recommend everybody start that way if they have the ability to, because you're you're faced with it, you're confronted with it, right? And it's going to try you. It's definitely going to try your your patience and your mm-hmm. your resourcefulness to find out like if you can fix things on your own when you need to, or are you just going to make sure that you have a good rolodex of contractors? There's no wrong answer there, but you you have to react. You're going to be faced with a with a problem, an adversity, whatever the the problem is. How do you react to it? Are you going to be able to come out of it? Now. There were definitely times, and trust me, when I get a call at like midnight and I got to go deal with something, I'm not a big fan of that by any stretch of the imagination. But with this particular property, having it for 13 years or 14 years, however far we are now, it seeing what the real estate can do in that period of time, that gives me a little bit of comfort knowing that, yeah, I'm going to go through some pain, 100%, but I mismanaged this thing like crazy to begin with. Now, if I had positioned it better and treated it more as a business from day one, 
probably would be in a different position. And it wasn't my priority once I met my wife and we decided to start a family, buy a house together. That investment side kind of fell off because I had a much more important thing in front of me. This is where my future was, was with my wife and my kids. And then realizing I need to provide more and better future for them. I was like, I got to get back into real estate because I think that's the vehicle where I can leverage my skill set more and have the return be more valuable on the back end. So short-term pain for long-term gain is really what it comes down to. It's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with some stuff and hopefully the time in the market is going to pay off on the back end. And hopefully at that point, it cash flows decent. And then we go from there. And in the future, the plan is that I I'm able to hand one of these properties to my kids and say, all right, well, here's your first asset. Do with it what you want. You know, if you want to sell it and go traveling, fine. That that's on you. If you want to sell it and like have a big glorious wedding, okay, like that's fine. Or if you want to hold on to it and realize that now you're playing with the house's money, where if you treat this thing right, it'll treat you right. And then you have an asset for life. Or then you play the game, you play the cash flow game where now you take that and you flip that into something bigger and you leverage yourself up and, and get out of the rat race hopefully sooner than than I end up getting out of the rat race. Wow, you had a lot in that. Oh my gosh, I got a couple of questions for you. The first is, what advice would you give to somebody who is just thinking about, okay, I have that grit, I have that determination, I'm gonna go do a house hack. Is there any advice you would give to them that would fast track them perhaps so that maybe somebody doesn't go through all the challenges that you had now granted, you can't predict everything, right? But there's some things you can learn before you jump in feet first on something. What would your advice be? Don't be too proud to ask for help sooner, right? So I thought I could do everything on my own and because I didn't market it right. I didn't, I didn't understand the market for the rental the right way. Like I got what I got for a tenant and I lucked out. I had great tenants to start. And then I thought I could do this again because I mean, lightning's got to strike twice. Right. And then it went horribly the second time around. And then from there, I was like, I, I could have asked for help, but I, I got too much in my own way thinking I did it great the first time. Might as well, you know, give it another shot. And I could have stopped that sooner, but I, I didn't because I didn't ask for help. I figured I could just truck through it and, and get through, but don't just turn a blind eye to those things. You know what I mean? We, we all have weaknesses. And I mean, especially in the real estate investing community, it is such a giving community from what I've found. I mean, just attending a meetup, you know, and you have a problem on a property, if, especially if you're a house hacker, go to as many meetups as you can bring whatever problem you're dealing with to the meetup. And more than likely, there's there's going to be one, if not a dozen people in that room that have already done what you're dealing with and they can advise you and you don't have to, I mean, you can search online now, especially now, like bigger pockets and all this stuff, you can find the answer, but okay. it's better when you're, you're in it with somebody else. So, you know, go have that face to face with somebody and have that conversation and try it yourself. I recommend trying it yourself so that you know a little bit about it, but if you realize that this isn't for you, ask for help sooner. Don't, don't just grind through it and, and hope that it works out because you will get further faster if you can ask for help sooner, which is, that's, I mean, that's a lesson for me too. I, I'm still working on that because I like to, I like to handle all this stuff myself. And every time I do, I end up at the end finish line. I'm looking at it, I'm like, I should not have taken all of that on myself, 
I mean, I did a a flip and I hired out most of the work, but the small things, I was like, I can do that. I can do this. Small things turned into a longer list and a longer list. And then next thing you know, I'm there every single night, every single weekend. And it's like this real estate journey of mine was supposed to give me more time with my family, not take like four or five months of my life completely away while I'm out there doing work on a building. And and I have two young kids at home with wife, you know? How did that make you feel when you like we're doing that you're working regular normal hours and then at night you're going back to this property and you're going on the weekends how did how that make you feel when you got down and you're like oh gosh i don't want to do this did i just answer your question well it's i mean so it it started it started positive right because i enjoy it i i enjoy building right so i enjoy using my hands and using the skills that god gave me i mean i built out my whole basement and and i you know, built a tree platform in, in my yard for my kids for their zip line and all that stuff. Like I enjoy being creative with my hands. So it started on a very positive note. Like, yeah, I can do this. I can, I have plenty of tools and I was able to put some of those to work, but then it, it really grinds you and really burns you out when you realize there's a reason professional contractors are professional contractors. When they don't have the right fitting, they go to their truck and they find the right fitting. When you as a do-it-yourselfer or a handy person, when you don't have the right piece, guess what? You're That's running for the to store. Home Depot. <laughs> and I guarantee you something in the next aisle you're going to need in about an hour. And that's what happened to me. It's, it, I put more miles on my truck just because it's like, I can do this. And I could. Every single task I took on, I had confidence that I could execute. But it was the, when you get ramped up and you're really working and grinding and you're having a good, a good time and you're getting things going and then you have to stop because you don't have a piece or you're, you break a tool and it's like, I got to go get another one. And when you start to slow that down and then you're, I mean, for me, it's like, my body's like, you're done. Like you already jumped in the truck. You should be going home, not going to the store and coming back. It's midnight. You know what I mean? Stop working. So yeah, yeah, it definitely takes a toll on you. And that's what I mean. Ask, ask for help sooner. Like don't, don't just beat yourself up and, and really get to that, that point. I mean, I enjoyed a lot of it but I definitely should have handed off more of those tasks would have cost me more money. I would have made less money, but that's okay. I I would have enjoyed the process more. Yeah. That's that money time trade-off. You know, a lot of people do that, right? They ask themselves, okay, if I pay somebody to do this, I know I can do it myself, but is it cheaper just to hire out and have somebody else do this? And I struggle with that too. I think those of us who have that type A personality where they they know they can get it done and they're just going to go do it themselves, it's very hard to let go of that control. And so what advice would you have to dads who are maybe in the same boat, you know, they've got real estate or they've got a busy job and, and just want to spend more time with their family. What would your advice be? So, I mean, I, I have, I have a lot of planning that I do, right? I do Sunday planning sessions every Sunday and I try to plan out my week and I I try to make sure that I, I block out time because I, I get really focused and I get really distracted to the world because I'm so into whatever it is I'm working on. And I had to start reminding myself that there were other aspects of my life that needed attention. So I had to physically put some of that time into my calendar, you know, date nights with my wife, which I have to do better at time one-on-one with my kids where I'm, I'm still working on doing better at that. But when you get that time in there, 
it, it takes repetition as well. You know what I mean? You put that one block in there and, and, it, and your phone goes off and says, you know, you have a date with your daughter in 10 minutes. At first it was, it was like, oh, but I'm, I'm like 20 minutes away from finishing this one task. No, you're not. You're not 20 minutes away. You're an hour. You know what I mean? So now you're punishing your daughter because you're prioritizing what you're working on. So when I realized some of those trade-offs were being made, I had to kind of recommit to my kids and in doing so, connect with them on a different level. I mean, my oldest, she's logical, she's mathematical, she's a lot like me in that sense. And, and I wouldn't have been able to really see that shine through if I wasn't spending more one-on-one -on -one time with her. And now I have my Monday afternoons are one-on-one -on -one time with me and my daughter. And more times than not, when she gets off the bus, you know, we, we go grab the mail, we come into the house, and then it's immediately, hey, daddy, can I go get cash flow? Of course. Like, so she goes downstairs and she grabs cash flow for kids and we play, awesome. we play cash flow for kids and it's me, her and her stuffed teddy bear echo. You know, we just, we play, <laughs> we play cash flow until, you know, mommy and, and my, uh, my youngest come home from gymnastics and it's good from there. And then, you know, my youngest just, she needs her cuddle time. She needs her one-on-one -on -one time just to be there and have that attention. So, okay. and if I was too focused on working for the family, I, I wouldn't be in the family. And, mm. you know, it is something that it's easy to take for granted. And I, I strongly recommend that you you reflect on that often to any dad out there, to any mom out there that, that's really grinding, especially on an entrepreneurial journey. Don't forget, you know what I mean? Build some blocks of time in there to stay connected. And even when you feel connected, just because you check the box and you filled it out doesn't necessarily mean that your family feels it. And, you know, mm. I have to continue to improve on that. I know that. That's some great advice about blocking out that time and writing it down. I know quite a few people, myself included, that I do the same thing Sunday evenings. I sit down and I time block out my week to make sure I get everything in that I need to do. That's some awesome advice. And I love that you're playing the cash flow game with your daughter. That is fantastic. When they get older, do you intend to bring them alongside of you so that they can learn what you're doing when they show, if they show an interest? Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, yeah, I would definitely say that as well is don't, don't keep what you're doing a secret from your family. Yeah. One of my properties is right on the way to my mother's house, right? So whenever we go visit, you know, Grammy and Grampy, we drive by one of my properties and sometimes I'll drop in there, especially if I have a vacant unit, we'll pull in and we'll take a look around. So my kids understand that I own rental real estate. My girls are seven and four years old. Like there's, there's going to be people that say, well, they don't, they don't care. They don't understand that or whatever. That's all fine and well, but once they, once it clicks future, I don't know when that's going to happen, but once it starts to click, she's going to realize that, oh, so this is what daddy's been working on this whole time. And hopefully it provides us the lifestyle that we're, we're aiming for. And then there's the trade-off that she'll understand that, especially when she's loving the game cash flow for kids. I mean, there's, there's sections in there where it's like, Hey, do you want to buy this rental house and get two green tokens of cash flow? She's like, yes. And I asked her, why do you want it? She's like, because it's cash flow. And I was like, great, perfect. So, you know, it's, it's those little moments that are like, you know what, even if she doesn't fully understand it, she's at least aware of these things now. And all I can do is just introduce her to it. And mm -hmm. if it sticks, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. But I mean, it's, you can't hold them back from it. Share it, right. share it with her. I mean, share it with your yeah. wife, your husband, whatever it is. I mean, you have to share what you're doing because it's, it's very uncomfortable and very lonely to go on that journey by yourself. 
some excellent advice. And I am sure your daughters are going to pick up on what you're doing and your enthusiasm. And once they realize what's happening, I have no doubt they'll get bit by that bug too. So if you could go back in time to your younger self and give your younger self a message, what would it be? Oh, start sooner and stick with it. <laughs> I mean, it, it is scary. It's definitely scary. You're never going to go through life fearless, but trust in the people that you surround yourself with. You know, they believe in you more than you believe in yourself sometimes. And, you know, when you're in those moments of doubt, borrow from them borrow their confidence and, and their belief in you to help you get to that next that next step. That's some great advice. Who you surround yourself really does matter how you move yourself forward, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. From your story, what's something that we could walk away with today that you could encourage our listeners with that might help them change their tomorrow besides starting early and trusting yeah. yourself? So I would say try. Try everything that you're you're thinking of, but don't give up just because you can't work through the problem in the time frame that you set for yourself. There's plenty of resources out there in the world, and I'd lean heavily on a book, Who Not How, right? Don't try to solve everything on your own all the time because you're not everything. You know, you're not going to be able to solve everything. I mean, it'll take you time and you're not going to live a fulfilled life. So get to that point where you've tried it and you realize, I know that this can be done smoother because I've seen people do it, but it's not going to be done smoother by me. So I need to find who can do it better. I don't enjoy cold calling. So there's a service for that. You know what I mean? And I'm not too proud to say that I'm going to hire a service to cold call my leads for my real estate. That's, you know, I don't enjoy that part of it. And if you don't give yourself these steps of enjoyment in what you're doing, then you're going to end up building yourself a much steeper hill than you need to. And the journey is going to, you know, stop midstream and you're going to blame everyone around you for that. And it's no one's fault, but your own when it comes down to it. Good advice. You mentioned about working something like down to the bone and it doesn't serve you to do that. What do you do to stop yourself from going down that path? So for that, it's, it comes back to that scheduling, right? So whenever I undertake a project, or, you know, when I do my Sunday planning sessions, I, I give myself those time blocks. And the next Sunday, I reflect back on how, how like good did I hit? Like, was I 100% accurate on all my estimates? You're not necessarily going to be, and, and don't, don't beat yourself up if you're not, but understand where your patterns start to show up. And I started to see that, but you don't see it unless you're looking back and you're reflecting on it. So when I started to realize I wasn't hitting certain goals at the end of the week that I was like, that's a one hour task. Why didn't I do that? And I look back at what I got accomplished that week and it's like, well, yes, I, we all have 24 hours in a day. I just ended up putting too many hours into the wrong buckets and I didn't move my business forward or I didn't move that action forward like I wanted to. And what do I have to show for it? I felt good at the time, but here I am at the end of the week and I didn't hit the goal that I set. So reflect back and adjust often, but you need to be able to track that along the way to make sure Good that advice. you are adjusting appropriately to get back on track. And I just, I want to encourage people that, you know, anybody that's looking to start something new, just know that you're never alone in it. You know, there's, there's a network out there for you. There's, there's meetups out there for you. And the people that are directly around you might be able to help you out more than you think. And if they can't, 
then it's time to change your tribe. You know, you, you need to surround yourself with the right people that aren't holding you back, but that are propelling you forward. And that was probably one of the biggest, I'd say the biggest changes in my past two years was, was finding a tribe, finding like-minded people that I could surround myself with and learn from their stories and lean on each other and kind of help each other get to that next step when they're facing blockage. Because, you know, you think back to the people you hung out with the high school, you know, I haven't gone to my high school reunions or anything like that, but it's always that, that image of, well, where did the jock end up? Where'd the nerd end up? You know what I mean? It's like, get rid of those labels. It's not going to serve you to go down that road again. And, you know, if you're more interested in going out and partying and spending your money at the bar, then do that. But don't complain to anybody else when you're not reaching the goals that you're setting for yourself. So surround yourself with the right people. Absolutely. Good advice. Very good advice. You are the sum of the five people you hang around with the most, it is said. So there's much truth to that. Before we end our time together, what's one book that you'd recommend to everyone and that they would read and how did that affect you? I read The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan probably twice a year. I consume a lot of books. I love Audible. I, I should never been introduced to Audible uh, because I spend a lot of windshield time and I just consume all that content. But that is a book that I keep going back to because it takes, it takes practice. It takes a lot of practice to be able to identify what that one thing is that you need to be focused on that will make the rest of your, your day, your week, your, your life easier or the rest of your tasks, like not necessary, you know? So you really have to find out where that leverage is. And again, it's, it's just like anything. If you're not reflecting back on what impact certain decisions have made, then you're not going to be prepared to identify what that one thing is in the future. So that's why I, I reread that once or twice a year, just to remind me, cause it falls off the radar sometimes but it's, it's definitely a very good lesson to focus in on, you know, making sure that you're putting your efforts behind the most valuable thing that you can. Dan, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. How can my listeners reach out to you? I am on Facebook and Instagram at realvalue.dan and then LinkedIn and YouTube, Real Value Dan, all one word. I don't have much on YouTube, but I'm thinking I'll start to maybe add some more content on there. That's not really where my passions lie, but definitely Facebook is, is where I'm pretty active and, you know, definitely reach out to me there. So it's real value Dan or real value dot Dan on either one of those platforms. Well, again, thank you very much, Dan. This has been a fantastic, wonderful time together. I have learned so much. I'm grateful for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I want to thank you for watching or listening to my podcast. I value your time with me because I realize you could be listening to someone else right now. And I also want you to know that I now offer coaching and consulting. So if you're thinking about creating a course, but not sure how to structure it, or you have a small step you need to take to lead to a big result, but you're not sure what the in-between looks like, check out my website at www.suesaller.com for more information and to request a free consultation. Remember, life doesn't get better by chance. It gets better by choice. Take small steps and make today awesome, friends. God bless.